If you didn't hear at the time of the announcements or you're unaware, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the elders here at the church. And we are continuing on in our sermon study in the book of Acts. So if you would, please go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. I trust that you had a wonderful holiday season. And I expect that there's a lot of amazing things that are going to be happening here at our church as there's a lot of things happening within our body and through our body here at Maranatha. So uh, 2024 is going to be a wonderful year, I think, uh, as God is good. He is a good father and gives good gifts to his children. Again, we are continuing on in this sermon series and our study through the book of Acts. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 11, and I'll be preaching through verses 1 through 18. So again, uh, please go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Again, chapter 11, verse 1 through 18. And if you're going to use one of the Bibles in front of you, the page number there will be 865. While you're doing that, I want to remind you about our Connect cards as usual. Uh, these cards are, are there uh, truly for the member, regular attender, and visitor, uh, not as a way to collect your information, but actually for us to know how we might be able to serve you or if we can potentially pray for you because we want to know you just like we desire that you would hope to know us as a church. Uh, we are going through all of this together. We are working through these things together, and it is a great opportunity for us to do it together as a united body. So that's in part why those cards are there. You can actually put those Connect cards in the white boxes up here by the window or in that black box over by the resource wall. That would be a great help. So thank you. All right. Today we have uh, Roxanne Beisel to read our scripture for today. So if you would please stand with us out of reverence of God, if you're able for the reading of his word. Again, this is Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of God, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please have a seat and I'll pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come and hear from you on a daily basis there. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear today so that we might receive this truth, that we might receive this in our heart in a way that brings about greater faith and understanding, knowledge of you as it is meant to transform us. Help us, Lord, to be your church. Help us to be a a faithful representation of you to this world. And Father, thank you for who you are, what you've done, and all that you continue to do in and through Maranatha, Lord. It is a a glorious thing to witness, uh, this opportunity to be your church. We thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray in the power of your spirit. Amen. I expect for most of us, as we are reading that passage, that you recognize that really what we have there at the beginning of chapter 11 is just a recapitulation of what happened back in chapter 10. It's really just a retelling of what we just went through about a month ago before Advent. But this passage, on its own, is actually wonderfully electric. There's all sorts of glorious things to to recognize in this passage as it stands by itself. Because through the repetition of this same story, we get to witness, as we are being taught, the importance of what has taken place before the eyes of Peter and really in front of the early Christian church. That being how they are actually experiencing the beginning and the the unfolding of the eternal providential plan of God, which brings redemption to the whole world. That's what they're witnessing. That's what sort of they're, they're beginning to see in Christ, truly how his kingdom has come and continues to be developed. And honestly, I personally like this passage a lot. I I personally uh, enjoy it because we get to hear Peter reanimate these miraculous wonders that God has performed as he retells the story to those other Christianized Jewish people back home. See, I love to tell stories, and I love to tell all the details, sometimes to the frustration of my wife. But I love all the details so I can appreciate a good storyteller because I think it's the details which uh, help us bring about the proper vision and even the experience of what took place. And at the same time, if that doesn't happen, if you skip the key details or you remove vital emotions, then that moment while you're telling your story to someone to try and get them to understand what happened, it's just weird right? That moment is just kind of strange. You're sort of left in a lurch. You're trying to tell somebody, you've all been there, you try to tell somebody a funny story that happened yesterday and you just can't quite get there. So by the time you're done speaking, you're just staring at one another. And you have to say, well, I guess you had to be there. We've all done this, but it's the details that matter. But when a story is told well, Like what Peter did here, when the story is told well, then that moment is able to be relived as if it just happened. That great event can be re-experienced again and again and again. Comedians make a living off of doing this thing. And it's why Peter repeats all the details about what just happened in Joppa and Caesarea for these Jewish men because it was the best way for him, yes, to defend his actions but also to help those Orthodox, newly Christianized Jews recognize that the God of all creation was doing something great. 
that he was at work, that his spirit was moving and, again, bringing about his kingdom. This was the way he brought them into that moment. So let's look again at it. Um, we're going to look back at verses 1, 2, and 3. And I would like you to look at your scriptures if possible, but it's going to be on the screen as well. But let's look at Acts 1 through 3. It says this. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, again, if you remember back to our time in chapter 10 before Advent about a month ago, after Peter went into the house of Cornelius and after the Holy Spirit fell on those Gentiles, they then asked Peter to stay with them. They desired for him to remain for some days, it says, because they likely desired to actually be taught more rigorously about how God's word actually speaks to and teaches us all about Jesus, who is that promised Messiah, who is our Christ. They desired to know more about him because of this newfound love they had for him. Does that make sense? So we did. Peter stayed with them. He remained with them for some time. Now, we don't know exactly how long that was, but that's not really important. But apparently, it was long enough for this news of what just happened to beat him back to Jerusalem, right? Because it says that these Jewish men, they heard all of this news, right? It had spread through the area. They knew what was going on. And those who heard it, they weren't all that happy, right? They weren't happy, now, the ESV says that when Peter finally got to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. And that's an okay word. I think it's a fair translation. But to me, it sounds more like they had a kind of difficult, almost cordial conversation with them. They just sort of disagreed. Whereas in some of the older Bible translations, it says there that not just that they criticized him, but that they contended against him. I think we're getting a little closer to the reality of what actually went on, but I actually like uh, the translation that's in F.F. Bruce's commentary because in that translation, it says that the circumcision party remonstrated with him. Now, I share that word not to show you that I'm wise because I had no idea what that word meant, but it sounded like it was getting a little closer to the point that I think is actually going on. In fact, I learned that there's two different pronunciations. There's a British pronunciation and a, an American pronunciation. Remonstrated is the American, and remonstrated is the British one. So now you know. Impressive. Impressive. <laughs> Essentially, though, this word, remonstrated, it means to take a forcefully reproachable protest. A forcefully reproachable protest, which, again, I think leads us to understand that these religious Jewish Christians were not happy at all. In fact, they were actively seeking to openly rebuke Peter for what he had done. But notice something. Notice what Luke tells us in the text. Luke writes that they acknowledged that the Gentiles received God's word, right? Essentially that uh, there was a faithful preaching of God's word. So that wasn't their criticism. Their criticism, rather, was that Peter chose to eat with them. The criticism was not that they were told what was true, but that he relationally engaged with them. That was their criticism. Now, there's a lot of background here. 
There's a lot of things to understand historically with the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, it's, uh, there's a lot that goes into this. Why? This is such an amazing moment in biblical history. And yes, there seems to be this acceptance that more people have been brought into the new covenant kingdom, but more than just that is happening. There's more to it than that in the background. This moment was actually proving true what the Apostle Paul was going to later on write about in his uh, letters as he was writing to the churches and as the churches continued to grow. So let me try and explain just a bit. Let me try and explain just a bit of the background because here, context is going to matter. Context is going to matter for us to understand why they responded the way they did. First, we need to go all the way back to Genesis. We need to go all the way back to Abraham and to understand why there was even such a thing as a circumcision party. See, Abraham... He was chosen by God. God chose him to be the father of his people, the patriarch of Israel. And next, by faith, he was accepted by God and then led by God to accomplish the things that God wanted to be done. And the way that God's people, again, Abraham's offspring, would be identified as being set apart or by being chosen by God was through the physical circumcision of every male which is why some Jewish people believe that even the Gentiles who would come to faith in God, who would come to worship God, should also be circumcised. In fact, this is going to be their argument in chapter uh, 15 once we get there in our study of Acts. Now, along with this very specific law, there were many other specific laws which were meant to keep God's people holy. They had a purpose. They were, they were there to, to show what was holy or how they would be holy or the way the word is defined, set apart. How they would be unique in this world um, and how they would be seen. Now, that doesn't mean that they were chosen as unique based in their successful efforts of those laws. Rather, it was in their weakness that they, as they would follow these laws, that would reveal and testify before the world that God is most unique. Does that make sense? It wasn't their uniqueness that they were chosen. It wasn't something special about them. Rather, in their weakness, as they followed the laws, it would testify that God is most unique. That he truly is the one who is uh, purely righteous and properly holy as he is the Lord God Almighty. That is why they were to do this thing. That is why they were set apart to testify about him. And these laws, these things that were given to them, these laws that were meant to be followed would either keep the people of Israel ceremonially clean, as it was called, or cause them to be ceremonially unclean if not uh, correctly followed. So they could be either worship properly and be clean, or they would worship improperly and be unclean, or they would do things and cause themselves to be unclean. And to no surprise, the Jewish people, Israel, they began to believe more in their own uniqueness than in God's holiness. They began to take their eyes off of God as they continued to follow the effort in what they were called to do. They took, uh, they took more ownership or more uh, clout in their uniqueness than in God's holiness. And the unclean people who seemed to always be around them, those unclean people could very easily make them, the unique ones, dirty. Which gives us the reason why this band of men were so wound up about Peter, right? There was this reality of cleanliness that was so important. This is why they were so wound up 
in his visiting and eating with those uncircumcised, unclean Gentiles. Now, in this way, as we process through this reality, as we look historically at what is actually going on, we have to be careful. Maranatha, in our understanding of this, we need to take a beat. We need to take just a moment and hear this, that we too need to make sure that our hearts don't get stuck where theirs might have been. As we look at them and we say, how dare they? Who do they think they are? Why are they so arrogant and prideful and, and, and self-absorbed? How dare they? In assessing them, we too have to be careful not to allow our hearts to get stuck where theirs might have been. We too need to be gracious towards them. We must be gracious in understanding them because recognize, for them, this is new. Right? This is all new to them. These men are still maturing in their faith. We have to take into account the timeline that we have here. Therefore, it would make sense that they didn't really quite yet grasp the nuances of how the law and grace actually work together. They too were learning these things for the first time. They didn't yet have a full understanding of what Paul explains later on to the Ephesian church. He says this, Ephesians 2, 14 through 17. For he himself, that being Jesus is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, and so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is what was unfolding even in this very moment. These men, these men who were, uh, who were religious and faithful and desired to worship God, these men who approached Peter were just beginning to learn this. They were beginning to learn what is this eternal providential plan of God's redemption? What does it look like and who is it for? So much of their teaching prior to Christ was that it was for this chosen individual nation. But who is this actually for? How is it that we all have been set free by Christ and therefore we all are one in Christ? How is that? How is it that there are no longer Jew and Gentile or man or female, slave or free, Israel and the church? How is it that we are all one in Christ? How is that possible? Now for us, as we are discussing this, or I'm, I'm telling you this, us who sit in this time of history, this can sound a bit strange. It might sound a bit strange. We might be asking, how is it that those incredibly wise, incredibly faithful, incredibly orthodox religious men who wanted to worship God, how did they not get this? How did they not see this redemptive story throughout the entire scriptures that they had? But you see, we have been given a unique blessing. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit, but they too had the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit had come at Pentecost. They had all that they needed to be led and guided towards Christ. They had the Holy Spirit, but we have something that they didn't have. We have been blessed with the New Testament, which explains the Old Testament, right? They were living it out. Again, they were learning these things, and the New Testament teaches us how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those promises that exist in the Old Testament. We have the Gospels, right? 
We have Romans and uh, Galatians and Ephesians and Hebrews, and we should all be studying them. Right? Little plug here, the women, the women's discipleship cohort, you all are about to study through Romans in just a couple weeks. We all should be studying these things and putting diligent effort into them. We have the New Testament as a unique blessing given to us in this time of history. But I also want you to, uh, to see this as well. I want you to see that their frustration here was not just a matter of religion. It wasn't just a matter of knowing God's word well enough. Rather, this matter was a matter of culture. It was a matter of culture because if we're willing to be honest with ourselves, culture is much harder to break free from. We all have preferences that we desire to be taken hold of or for people to pay attention to. And when that doesn't happen, we feel as though something is missing. Even we might feel that something is wrong. Even here at Maranatha, you may have come to Maranatha and you said, oh, other church that I went to, they do it like this. I don't think this is right here or some other scenario. We all have preferences. That's the idea here of of cultural realities that we all come from. Culture is much harder to break free from. And it is why Peter is willing to indulge these men with this retelling of the entire story. Remember, they already knew the story. But they had made these certain assumptions. They had already told this story, and he wants for them to know the full truth. It's why he's willing to indulge them. He's willing to tell them the full truth so they can have all the details that took place because he wanted them to experience it for themselves. Oftentimes, experience is our best teacher. Head knowledge is one thing. Heart knowledge is another. But oftentimes, it's experience that is our best teacher. Usually when we feel a certain way about a person or a situation, we can feel free to make all kinds of assumptions. But when you get to know a person, or if you're willing to step into a moment, what oftentimes happens is that we learn that we have prejudged and that our assumptions are the thing that's wrong. Again, this is why Peter aims to tell the story himself. And he starts in verse 4 of our passage And I'm going to reread it for us, but as I read it, I want you to notice that he is actually retelling this story by revealing three facts, three acts of God that are evidence for why he did what he did. They're things that point to God, three acts of God that are his evidence for what he did or why he did what he did. And those bits of evidence are this, the vision he received from God, the witness and work of the Spirit of God and the instruction from Jesus, who is the word of God. So again, the vision he received from God, 5 through 11, the witness and work of the Spirit of God, 12 through 15, and verse 17, and then the instruction from Jesus, who is the word of God, in verse 16. This is what his story goes, or how his story goes. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. He says this, I was in the city of Joppa, praying, And in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air, and then I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. 
the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at the very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house, and he told us how he had seen the angels stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And, remember, and I remembered the words that the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? This is just his retelling. But let me give you a few pieces of this story. Let me give you a little bit more information because I want to highlight those acts of God that he brings up. First, obviously, the council here in Jerusalem, they didn't see the vision. They didn't understand, uh, or they, rather, they didn't see the vision that Peter saw. But listen, there is no problem here with them believing Peter. He was already a known individual. He was already known and trusted to be a devout man, even an Orthodox Jewish man. So it would have made no sense that we, he would have done what he did and then tried to create a story to cover it all up. Because by his actions, if this wasn't God's providential plan, if God didn't lead him through this vision, well, then Peter would have been forcing upon himself his own uncleanliness through unfaithfulness. And Peter would not have done that. He was too devout too faithful. He was already a known individual. Second, the Spirit's supernatural activity is vital evidence here for what's going on. It's vital evidence as it was God's way of proving that he truly did indeed redeem and reconcile the Gentiles, that he has come for the whole world. But notice something in verse 17. Notice that Peter goes all the way back to Pentecost in order to explain what had happened to Cornelius and all those who were in his household, right? He goes all the way back to Pentecost. He tells the Jewish Christians that the Holy Spirit fell on all the people who heard the word that day, meaning and leading us to believe that this miraculous salvation was for all of those who could comprehend and respond by faith to the hearing of the word, just like it happened at Pentecost. Right? He preached and people responded in faith. And then it was unto those people that the Spirit publicly provided this kind of supernatural evidence for their salvation as they too spoke in other languages. Now, I think there's two reasons that he gives all these details, right? Because the details matter. There's two reasons he gave the details. One, these men would have pre most likely would have been present at Pentecost. They probably were there which means that they could identify with what happened. They already had a category in their mind so they could understand what Peter is telling them about, telling them about this supernatural event that unfolded. And two, this proved just how special this moment was, right? As he connects it to the, the uh, cataclysmic event for the church in Pentecost. This is a very unique, special moment because, again, if we think about the timeline, we know, we can believe that there were many more people that came to faith that were given salvation between Pentecost and this moment in Cornelius' house. There had to have been more people who began to believe. We know that's true. 
But what happened there isn't the story everywhere. What happened at Pentecost and what happened in Cornelius' home is not the story that happened everywhere. Therefore, they and we are meant to see this as a very special occurrence, an opportunity for the Lord to testify that he is at work. But it is not to be expected as the norm. Yes, we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the full portion of what is provided by God at the moment of our salvation. So we have all the spiritual blessings and in in, in all the, uh, the inheritance in the, in, the, in the heavenly places. We have been given Christ's inheritance, but we aren't meant to expect supernatural events like this to happen every time a person is saved or baptized. It is a special moment to declare that God has done an, am- an amazing work is a cataclysmic moment in the gospel narrative. And third, according to verse 16, Peter proves his actions to be good and faithful because they are done according to God's word. What happens, happens according to God's word. Because what happened right in front of Peter's eyes is what Jesus said would happen, is what Jesus promised would happen, and what he would in fact do, that he would give his spirit as the helper to everyone and anyone who would believe by faith. And as Peter said, what more could I do? Who am I to stand in the way of God? Their response is our response. Silence. What more could be said? What more could be done? Verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent. What more could they do? So they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Who were they to stand in the way of God? Now, Maranatha, I'm just going to end it here because what more is there? (laughs) What more needs to be said about God? moving in history, moving through his timeline to bring about the salvation of individuals and people in the way that he brings about his redemptive plan, what more is there to say? Well, my prayer is this for us, that we too are humble enough to accept a person's, uh, that we are humble enough to accept a person's repentance because our God has accepted ours. So let us pray together. Let us pray now in this moment. Pray together as we go out today. Let us glorify God for who he is, what he has done, and what he continues to do with his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for the glorious news that we have of the gospel, that we are saved, that we are brought into right relationship with you through the work of your son, Jesus, and his life, death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you for your spirit that now dwells within us, that leads us and guides us and is our helper in this world. Lord, please give us greater faith. If we are here today and we don't have that, Lord, pour your spirit into us. Let us be transformed, please. Grateful, Lord, that we can represent you as your church. Help us to be a lampstand, a powerful lampstand for Pickerington and Canal and the surrounding areas, Lord. Help us to to be people of repentance as sometimes we don't respond well to your love. Be with us. We trust you are as you've promised to do so.
It's in your son's name we pray in the power of your spirit. Amen.